0: or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. One of my favorite authors over the years has been this man, Malcolm Gladwell. I read his book, Tipping Point, more than 20 years ago when it was first released, and I have read everything he has ever published since. Seven major books, five have been bestsellers. He's written for the Washington Post, The New Yorker, and in more recent years, he co-founded Pushkin Industries. It's an audio company that produces his podcast and several others, his being one of the most popular podcasts in the world. Now, before I say any more, earlier this year, I was having coffee with Doug and Anna Balfour, Out on the covered patio at Black Bear in Grayton Beach. And over Doug's shoulder, sitting alone, was this strange little man. Massive Apple MacBook Pro on the table in front of him. Cell phone he was constantly working. A pen in his hand. A notebook that he was jabbing at. Running shoes. Painfully skinny arms and legs. A shocked afro that didn't seem to belong on a person with such fair skin. And I knew that Malcolm Gladwell's mother is Jamaican and English. And his father is a Canadian. I also knew that he was an avid runner. I know far too much about him. And I just knew that that was Malcolm Gladwell sitting there. It had to be. And so I whispered to Doug and to Anna... We were not seated so that they could see him, and I said, Don't turn and look right now. But when you get the chance, that man behind you, I think that's Malcolm Gladwell. To my ever living disappointment, they both responded, Who? <laughs> Doug did. And my thought, Doug, was I thought you were a cultured, well-read, worldly-seasoned maven, and you don't know one of the most famous contemporary writers from within your own commonwealth. But no matter, I, I didn't hear anything else they had to say. I just kept trying to figure out if that was indeed Malcolm Gladwell. So I decided on the direct approach. After we had had coffee, I exited the patio through the passageway precisely where this man was seated And I waited until he was not using the phone, and I walked right up to him, and I said, Excuse me, sir. Is your name, uh, are you? uh..." (laughs) And he looked up, and oh so gently he said, My name is Malcolm Gladwell. And I said, Ah! No, I didn't, I didn't (laughs) at that moment, but I wanted to. I was much too mature for that. So I said, Mr. Gladwell, my name is Ronnie, and I have read every word you have ever written. And I have listened to every podcast you have ever published. And it has had a tremendous impact on me, and I just wanted to say thank you. And he said, no, thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. That that is very kind. And I left, went to my truck, and went, oh, oh my God. Then I texted Garrett and said, I just met Malcolm Gladwell. And he said, who? Cindy asked me later, did you shake his hand? Did you get an autograph? I said, no, it's COVID. I'm not going to kill Matt Malcolm Gladwell. She said, did you tell him you're an author? Oh, that's that's an amateur move, man. You don't do that sort of thing. Well, Well, did you get a picture? No, that's creepy. I just left. Well, I was listening to Gladwell a few weeks ago when he unexpectedly mentioned the faith of his parents, a faith to which he has returned now later in life. His parents are Mennonites. Not the old order who can be mistaken for and who have a lot in common actually with the Amish. Contemporary Mennonites don't stand out like that. Not with beards necessarily, head coverings for the women, the rejection of modern technologies and the like. Contemporary Mennonites in Canada are rooted in the radical Reformation, descendants of the Anabaptists of Europe, and are part of the reconciling or what we call the peace churches within Christianity. They reject violence of any kind. Some are conscientious objectors to war and others hold to this idea of simple, desperate self-defense only. But all Mennonites seek justice in the full sense of the word. And that is what makes them stand out. They are radically empathetic. Radically welcoming. That is, they feed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They welcomed the stranger. Two major biblical passages drive the ethics of the Mennonite church. Matthew 25. Where Jesus said, as you do unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And the least of these were the hungry, and the thirsty, and the naked, and the stranger, and the imprisoned. When you treat people like that with kindness, it is... As if you are extending kindness to Christ Himself. And then a second passage from the prophet Micah. Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? It is to act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. It's reminiscent of the instruction that tradition says. Saint Francis of Assisi gave to his students. Preach the gospel at all times, and use words when necessary. Love that. When Malcolm Gladwell was a teenager, his parents and their church took in a family of immigrants from Vietnam. This was the 1970s. And these immigrants had been displaced by the Vietnam War. They were often referred to as boat people. Saigon fell in 1975. Ho Chi Minh became the ruler over all of Vietnam, and thousands upon thousands fled that regime by a tiny boat, launching themselves into the South China Sea. A great many of these people perished, a half a million drowned in the South China Sea. Others were picked up by merchant vessels, some by the U.S. Navy. And there was an international effort made to settle these folks safely in other countries. And that is how three young Vietnamese found their way to the Gladwell Church in Toronto. Why did this church take them in? What motivated them? What saved this foreign family? And in a single word, it was kindness. I listen to everything Gladwell says. I don't always agree with him. I don't always agree with myself. Do you ever ever have those feelings? But I love the way that he makes me think. I love the way that he forces me with his words and his thoughts to take a subject or an issue or some historical or even current event and turn it over in my mind to look at it differently. To think about it in an unexpected way. And this story about the church of his teenage years when his parents, their friends, and other members of the community intervened in the life of a needy family, it made me think about some things differently. It wasn't a story about making big sacrifices to save someone. Not at all. It took no deep sacrifice. It took no heroics. It only took kindness. And kindness will cost you nothing. It costs nothing to simply be kind to another human being. We love heroes, don't we? Whether it's Luke Skywalker, Superman, Wonder Woman. Maybe it's some whistleblower who exposes an entire unjust system. Maybe it's a fighter on the front lines or behind enemy lines. Maybe it's that wide receiver who makes that late catch. The kicker who makes that final kick to win the game. The slugger with the well-timed home run. It is human nature, I suppose, to bow and worship at the altar of a superstar, be it Hercules of ancient Greece or Captain America from modern comics. Those who, by means of courage and conviction Take some great risk. They make some great sacrifice. Those who muster and marshal an internal strength that matches and overcomes the enemy. These are the ones we truly admire. We even use that language and use that word in American health care. Heroic measures, we will say sometimes. This is when a treatment is So dodgy, so fraught with danger that under normal circumstances, no one would even try it. It's a treatment of last resort, a treatment that might even kill the person if it's used. But what choice is left? Something extraordinary must be done to save the day. And there is just something within us, individually and collectively as a society, that we love that. We need that. And sometimes we do. We need a few people with the tenacity of Rosa Parks. We need the occasional William Wallace to inspire us. A Joan of Arc, a Neil Armstrong, a Nelson Mandela, an Oscar Schindler. But this isn't the norm. Most of us aren't so capable that we will become heroes. But we can all be kind. A Vietnamese mother and her children arrive in Ontario. They don't speak the language, French or English. They don't know the customs. They have been afloat at sea for weeks after losing home, family, security. When rescued, they are placed in a camp for displaced persons. It's filthy and unsanitary, but it's an upgrade from a rowboat. They live there for months while paperwork is pushed from desk bureaucratic desk, uninformed, plagued by fear, traumatized by what they have experienced. They are then flown across the continent and finally they are met by a dozen old gray-haired Mennonites in an airport. What does that family need at that moment? Someone swooping in to save the day? No, all they needed was a little So one person does the paperwork. Another person asks for an extra collection or two or three or four from other churches. Another one starts cooking a larger breakfast than she normally would to feed three additional mouths. Another opens up the back bedroom. It's empty and unused. It has been since the kids left for college anyway. Another had a car that they had been meaning to do something with. These were school teachers, a flight attendant, an accountant, one was a family therapist. They didn't wear capes. They had no war medals on their chest. They didn't have superpowers. They simply had kindness. And sometimes that's enough. How did Paul put it among his many practical insights within the book of Ephesians? I hope you heard those stack up simple little things, stuff your mother and grandmother may have taught you. Be kind and compassionate. To one another. That ought to be enough Christianity for anybody. Right there. Be kind and compassionate. If our faith isn't making us more humble and kind. I think we might be doing it wrong. No, I don't think you ought to have it all together. No one does. I don't think you have to agree to every. Group's definition of orthodoxy. No, I don't think you have to make everyone your friend or be besties with those who you have serious disagreements with. You don't have to agree about much of anything, actually, but kindness can go a long, long way. Even if the greatest act of kindness sometimes that we can muster is to simply keep our mouths shut. On Facebook. For example, what is it the the Buddhists call matre, I think? The Dalai Lama sums it up best. He says, loving kindness is my religion. And that may not be where all healthy spirituality ends, but that's a great place for all spirituality to begin. No heroic measures required. No bionic powers needed. You don't have to take monastic vows of total renunciation to help others or to save your little part of the world. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to parachute behind enemy lines. You don't necessarily have to bleed or suffer or make some big charitable donation. Just be kind. Start right there. Show some compassion and empathy. Have a little understanding treat others as you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. To another story, this one from and about Heinrich Reichmann. He tells his story in full in his memoir, The Last Jew of Treblinka. Reichmann escaped the Treblinka concentration camp in 1943. And upon his escape, where did he find himself? In the middle of of Nazi-occupied Poland. He hid in the forest for as long as he could. Then one night, desperate, he took great risk and approached a local farm and asked for food and assistance. The farmer helped him. But the farmer was terrified of hiding him. So he gave him food and sent him on his way to Warsaw. On his way to Warsaw, he met a second farmer who fed him. And gave him clothes. Then he meets a third man. This man says, are you a Jew? And Reitman is honest and says, yes I am. Reitman, quote, this Christian man who was walking in the opposite direction from where I came. Turned around and said, I am taking you home. His wife ordered me to take off my soiled shirt and gave me a clean one. You know what she said to me? This is my husband's only extra shirt and it's yours. They gave it to me. They gave me a healthy meal. Allowed me to stay for two weeks where I could gain strength. From there, someone else gave him a ride. Another gave him papers to pass security checkpoints. Someone gave him a job. He slept under a bed. He slept in a barn. He slept in a fallen down shack in an abandoned building with others who had escaped or who were hiding. This story goes on and on and on like that. Not one person did a single heroic thing to save him. Not one. But every person instrumental in saving his life showed him kindness. A dozen different random acts of kindness from complete strangers. And he and his eventual descendants survived the war. His rescuers weren't brave. They did not have tons of guts. They themselves were afraid and shaky. But they joined in And unwittingly, in an entire chain of events where life-saving and life-giving action changed that man's world. And all it took was what? Kindness. Am I suggesting that you will save someone from a holocaust? No. Am I saying that you should organize an effort to rescue the homeless or the refugees? Not necessarily. I'm only suggest- suggesting that you open your eyes. And treat others as Jesus instructed us to treat them. To love others as we love ourselves. I'm only saying that an act of kindness costs you nothing. There's a place for sacrifice. There's a place for going above and beyond, but in day-to-day life, most of the time, no heroes need to apply. They just, we just need to be kind. Now that may not sound like a solution to all of our big problems in the 21st century. But let me ask you, seriously. How would your life be different? How would life In our community be different. How would relationships be different? How would the world be different? If our default attitude and action was kindness. Simple kindness. Doesn't have to be agreement. God we're never going to get there. Doesn't have to be. Uniformity, doesn't even have to go as far as friendship, just kindness. It might be a shallow attempt at solving the biggest problems of the 21st century, but is there any better place to begin for immigrants, for refugees, for civil discourse, for religious squabbles? For relational conflict, rather than falsehood and conspiracy, rather than unbridled outrage, rather than the scoring of ideological points, rather than tearing others down, rather than snark and sarcasm, rather than, quote, bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. What if we chose to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven Albert Grossman was a famous music agent back in the 1960s and the 1970s. I think I have a picture of him here with Janis Joplin. He managed Gordon, Lightfoot, the band, Bob Dylan. One time he was talking to Bob Dylan and he said to Dylan, They've started calling you an anarchist. And Dylan said, Who? You? Who is calling me that? And Grossman said, The papers. All the papers are calling you an anarchist. And old Bob, young Bob then, thought a minute and said, I'm an anarchist? Why? And Grossman answered, because you don't offer any solutions. I get that. But I also get why Bob Dylan thought long and hard about that for a second. Lit a cigarette and answered, Just be groovy or leave, man. Just be groovy or leave, man. I don't know if that was a solution for the 60s. But I can get close to that for the 21st century. Just be kind or leave, man. Just be kind. You don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to do anything. Be kind. Start right there. I bet you can start before you get home today. You'll have the opportunity to react either in anger or in kindness. This is a prayer written by John Vandelaer. I had to pick a Canadian Mennonite to end today. I put it on the screen just so you can see it. And this is our benediction. The kingdom of God is at hand. But Lord, it often feels like it's a million miles away. And so we pray for your kingdom to be revealed in our lives. Turning our sickness and sin, our brokenness and fear into friendship and compassion, wholeness and joy. May your kingdom come to us now. We pray for your kingdom to be revealed in our neighborhoods turning our division and suspicion, our judgment and our competition into fellowship and care, kindness and service. May your kingdom come to us now. We pray for your kingdom to be revealed in our world, turning our war and our disparities, our consumption and our self-interest into peace and collaboration, stewardship and reverence. May your kingdom come to us now for Jesus' sake and for ours.